Hey, welcome to Rushcast. My name's Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for listening to our show. We're really happy to have you here. If this is your first time listening to Rushcast, we're doing the live album series, as I've named it, and where we go through chronologically every live album that Rush has put out. And this week we're talking about a show of hands, an album that a lot of us are really emotional about, especially if you like the the synthy stuff from you know Power Windows Hold Your Fire era that was certainly a feat. Those two albums were certainly featured on this live album, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get into it today. Helping me out with these two or with this album are two guests, Madison Vandenberg and Carl Houghton. How you doing, guys? Good, doing well. Doing very well, thank now, you. Now I have to guess you were both on. You both called in each week during the trivia series earlier in the summer of 2016. And yeah. I believe, I know Carl's in the UK and I yeah. think Madison is in Utah, United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Very cool. That's such like, those are two very distinctly different <laughs> places and I'm in New York city. So I'm, I'm smack dab between you guys. I know we've got quite a spread. So give me a. I always ask for a little bit of background, age-ish. What you know, like when you got into the band, and specifically, why is a show of hands from '87? Uh, why is this the album you wanted to talk about? Why is this one special to you? I'll ask. Uh, I'll ask Madison first. So my my whole rush journey is is really closely intertwined with the show of hands, which is why I wanted to. Um, to appear on this episode in particular. Um, so it all, you know, we'll, we'll uh, wind the clocks back a little bit. August 6th, 2005. Um, it was the, you know, whatever anniversary of the, um, the atomic bomb being mm-hmm. dropped on Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. And my dad, who is a huge world war two history buff. Um, we were all just in the kitchen having lunch or whatever and my dad was like oh you've got to listen to this song and so he turns on manhattan project and it was it was the live it was you know the live recording from a show of hands and so i was kind of having a hard time hearing all the lyrics so he would so after getty would sing a line he would repeat that back to me and i was just and i'm really into world war ii history as well and so you know by the end of like the big culmination you know, when he sings the song, that that line about, you know, the pilot of Enola Gay, I was just mm. blown away. I was blown away. It just, like, everything, everything was like, oh, my gosh, this this song is amazing. And so my dad, who's a, who's a, a Rush fan, he wasn't, like, a super, super dedicated fan because, you know, this was when I was in, I don't know, maybe my junior year of high school, and I'd never heard them before. Um, but he was a fan, and... <coughs> Um, so he was just like really excited that I liked the song so much. And so the whole rest of that afternoon, we, we just sat in front of the computer and he just like clicked through, Oh, this is a great song. You've got to listen to this. Mm -hmm. You know, we listened to the trees. We listened to, um, Tom Sawyer, like just, just a, a bunch of songs that entire afternoon. And I was hooked. So I grabbed, I grabbed the CD, you know, a show of hands CD and I played it in my car over and over for like a month straight and it's, it's kind of silly. I so I, I want to I I connected really really strongly with Manhattan Project in particular, and so I would listen to that song on repeat and just like sob because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was it was just so moving to me. 
and um so i've i've been addicted every ever since um and then and then cool cool thing so that was you know 2005 fast forward exactly two years later on august 6th um i got to see them in concert when they when they were touring snakes and um so my dad and i went together and it was just it was awesome Oh, so O so, five was your introduction. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so O five was the introduction. I'd never heard them before. And, oh, um, so you and that was it. Yeah, I'm imagining this is like the '80s or the early '90s. So you, number one, you've oh, got no, as bad as, as much Rush experience as me, if not less. And uh, yeah, and you were listen. That was an old band and a very old song <laughs> when you were listening to it. Yeah, I'm I'm 28, and um, I, I I've never been into music from from our, you know our era, and I've always been into older stuff. I I listened to a lot of um, like 80s new wave with my mom and mm-hmm. and um, classic rock. So I was I was like primed for for Rush. Yeah, and especially especially in particular, you know the Hold Your Fire, Power Windows Signals era, Grace, and you know with a lot of the synthy stuff. Mm-hmm. I was I was like ready to go. That's fascinating, that. and and yeah, I have to say that Manhattan Project is extremely emotional, and and mm-hmm. uh, the the pilot of Enola Gay part flying out of the shockwave is like one of the 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 go to goosebump moments that I have with Rush's catalog. Like that moment is such oh, yeah. a climax, oh, yeah. and like uh, I love the line, "All the powers that be." Uh, and the course of history would be changed and the course of history. like that's that's a great yeah uh, that one line isolated is really great um well let's go to carl houghton and ask him about his background <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm 32 and i have had rush in my life all my life my dad has been into them since he was a teenager and you might not believe this but he is actually he was at that concert so oh. one one of the, the earliest memories. Yes, he was there. Oh, One of my oh. earliest memories was my mother telling me that my dad wasn't going to be there that evening because he was going to see Rush live, <laughs> um, and it was this particular show. So wow. he went. He, he would have went. I don't remember anything but that. I just remember knowing he was uh, going to be at that concert. Um, so as a four-year-old, I didn't really get too much about it. Um, eventually the VHS uh, would have been released and he bought it. He was just so excited because he was at the show. And um, me as a child, I would watch it with him and I'd see the cartoons, I'd see all the, the videos. I loved the colour of the show. And um, it, it, was, it, was more, it was like the cartoons when I was a child. I just loved seeing like the Force 10 video. I loved the introduction. I loved the big money with the Monopoly board. And for me, it was just like visually, it was such a like a wonderful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So that was like pretty much my first experience of Rush Live because my dad would not stop playing the VHS for me. Um, over the years, you know, I've heard the likes of uh, the Snakes and Arrows tour, the Clockwork Angels tour, uh, different stages, and for me, they've never touched the show of hands for how personal that show like it, it felt like that show really brought me very close to the band uh, and again it's always been that little bit special knowing my dad was there and me hating him because he was there and i wasn't <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny i'll always the, this episode specifically is very much a gathering of people like me and the two of you who really gravitate toward this era of rush 
and uh, we're sort of celebrating this this era. There are a lot of people who don't dig it as hard, but it, I'll always defend it as and label it as the the greatest songwriting that they've ever produced. It's it, as songs mm. as individual songs. Um, they grow the way they need to. They they climax at the right times. Like we we're talking about with Manhattan Project, uh, with these two albums specifically that are represented as new material on this record, they they are the best songs in a songwriting sense to me. They were they were composers in 1998, right? Or 1988, I mean, more so than any yeah. other era, in my opinion. And that's kind of like what we're we're already getting into that. <laughs> um, I remember having uh, I had a jazz professor. Uh, when I, early on in college, who found out I liked Rush, and you know jazz is a highly, you know, composed music, and it's um, a lot of jazz professors don't give a crap about rock or anything close to it, and I remember him telling me that he had a show of hands and it was, it was his favorite and it was the one he listened to the most, and he was like the first person I met who really gave that record some love, so I'll never forget that. Um, it kind of it kind of made sense to me. Yeah, the the record I think has the best songwriting is the record that a jazz professor would actually really dig, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I took a jazz class in. Um, I'm I'm not a jazz musician, but I I just took like a a jazz history class in college, and and um, this is like the only way that I can relate to that. But but the professor you could tell that that his way of appreciating music had so much to do with the technicality and and like how things were woven together versus just like it's catchy you know right yeah and, no, it's always interesting and, to listen. and maybe and maybe that's yeah go ahead uh, i was just gonna and and i was gonna say maybe maybe that's what what drew me into rush um in the first place was you know like i said i i grew up listening to older stuff but then also um i've been a big classical music fan my whole mm-hmm. life and um and that's i mean that's the perfect example of music that that builds on on layers and like there's not there's never going to be one part that's that's boring or or in isolation couldn't be appreciated for what it is sure now carl talked about the big money the first track on the record you specifically mentioned the music video which is kind of referenced in the um the video um on this record kind of in the background right that video is yeah. so like for someone like me it's so dated looking and i can imagine in, at the time it was highly modern and 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 technologically impressive right for those kind of uh yeah. visual effects but now mm-hmm. it's so dated okay um thinking back to when i was a child i remember my dad playing that video i don't know how where he got it from because naturally back then he didn't have the internet and music shows weren't a common thing on TV um, I'd have to ask him but I do remember seeing that video and again as a four or five year old uh, I thought it was just so great I, you know, I'd see this band but they're playing on a Monopoly table and I'm like wow this is like how, how are they doing that they're on this big Monopoly table and uh, I thought it was the coolest thing ever again because I was there at the time I didn't see it as like an aged video. To me, it was just so cool what I was watching. Mm-hmm. Is there something about the actual performance on this record that stood out to you? Sorry, there's something. Was there something like on this specific recording of Big Money? Like for for me, when I watched the Big Money from a show of hands, 
but with any power window song or hold your fire song on this record i think man the the technology that they're using on the stage the instruments the effects the tone that each of their instruments have are so perfect for these newer songs the big money is a great example specifically alex's guitar sound which is just dripping in chorus through the whole record is perfect drop my mic it's perfect on songs like big big money and i've got other things to say about the older songs regarding that but that that's what stands out for me on the big money the, the funny thing for me about the representation of the songs on this uh, on the album and on the video um, you're talking about half of them being hold your fire and power windows i'm not a big fan of the power window studio recording i know you'll hate that i know you hate that <laughs> wow um, well, i'm shocked i'm not a big fan yeah I'm not a big fan of it, but it sounds incredible on a show of hands. I love all the Power Windows tracks on a show of hands. Um, well, what what, are, what do again, you hear just, is the difference, Carl? Well, like, what's the difference from the Big Money Studio <clears throat> recording and this live one, sonically? Because you don't because the live one is less synth heavy. The studio oh, okay. one, it. It, for me, the studio one lays the Simpsons so, so in your face that I do feel sometimes that Alex is um, drowned out a bit by them. Uh, when it came to it being live, there was only so much that Getty could do with those synthesizers. So I feel like Alex is represented a lot more on the live version. And I just think all those songs from Power Windows and from Hold Your Fire, I just think they come across so much better on, uh, live than they do on the studio recordings. Yeah, and I don't know if Madison oh. hears the same thing, but it's like, it's oh, yeah. uh, it's very clear the guitar is, is extremely loud in this mix on this record. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll totally agree with, with both of what you're saying. Uh, Jay's point about, about the technology really fitting well with, with those songs they were writing at this time. Um, I've I've always preferred the um, these live recordings to the studio recordings, and maybe that's just because it's the way I was introduced to them, mm-hmm. and and so I, I got familiar with the way that they sounded. But but I I, I distinctly remember, uh, you know, after I after I wore out a show of hands and and started looking for the tracks in the studio albums, um, just being being really surprised by how um, how how thin some of them sound, and. Yeah. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to say they're sterile because because the like rush they're never they never play without without feeling but um, <laughs> but there's just a there's a different um, sort of uh, richness and warmth that comes from these live recordings that I've really and and like you said it stands out so much on the big money stands out a ton on um, on Manhattan Project in particular that one I, I much much prefer uh, this this stu- uh, this live recording. Um, but there's, you know, it's, it's the energy of, I think everything happening in the moment and, um, and then whatever they have to do to, to kind of, uh, capture that sound live that, that really just lends itself to a, to a, a, a deep and, and warm, uh, type of recording. That's so funny because I, I totally understand what you're saying. For me, it's on, for example, let's take Driven from Russian Rio. I heard that first, then finally got Test for Echo. When I heard the original mm. version of Driven, I was like, "What is this? This is this is dry. It's stripped down. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of tight and intense. It it doesn't. It's not nearly as metal, you know." Um, so I have those experiences with some of those later albums uh, and live albums, but I think we're all biased here. Like you, you, 
you were introduced to a show of hands live, so you'd like the live versions better, like you said. And I, it was the complete opposite with me. I would argue, just for my tastes, that Power Windows, the, the studio record, and Hold Your Fire sound vastly better than a show of hands even. Now, I, I love show of hands uh, and the sounds that are being used, but I, I think the good, it's a little too compressed, a little too... Um, washy for me on the live version, and it's that's purely opinionated or opinion based, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. should say. You know what I mean? Just for me. Now let's talk about. And the it's, ne- it, oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and ultimately, it's always going to be that because it's music, and we all we all experience music in a different way. And kind of like what Carl was saying, you you can't really go even in '88. You can't go and play these songs live and have the synths drive the sound that much. It's a rock show. Right. People are there to hear right. the guitar, you know. So naturally, okay. the guitars gonna be a little a little louder. I don't fault them for that. Um, Subdivisions has a similar vibe. Now I'm I'm gonna say a lot about how these older tracks I don't think benefit from this more modern sound that Alex has with his gear specifically. But I don't think Subdivisions is old enough or old school enough to be hindered by those those attributes like i think subdivisions naturally being so synth heavy it kind of works having these modern instruments and these modern sounds does that make sense carl yeah i think if um i don't know if they if they'd have come out playing something i don't know from say fly by night for instance uh, it would it would have felt a bit jarring between the big money and marathon so yeah as you said using you know, a song like Subdivisions, which is which it's like the introduction of the Sims coming more and more into the band. It's uh, it's definitely a good one to break the two power window songs. Yeah. What about you, Madison? Regarding no, I, Subdivisions. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I've always, um, you know, again, I, you know, I'm a I'm a big new wave fan. So that, you know, that opening chord with the with the synths, that real loud you know, powerful chord, whatever, you know, I don't know what chord it is, but whatever it is, it, mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of sound always draws me in. And yeah. I, you know, and it's, it's the middle of the eighties. It, it, you know, when I like growing up watching, you know, John Hughes movies and stuff, it just, the eighties, I don't know, kind of feels like high school to me, even though I didn't go to high school in the eighties. Sure. And, and so like the whole, the whole message about, about feeling like an outcast <laughs> and feeling like you're trapped I, it all it all works. So the band notes that they specifically wanted to make sure nothing was on this record that was on a previous live album, or that everything was new to the live album setting for a show of hands. And that regard mm. uh, aside from Witch Hunt, which is one album removed, everything is signals or newer, and that's amazing. Like they've never done anything yeah. like that since. But however, they have more room on these live albums, so they really don't have that excuse that they're running out of space but uh you look at the actual tour and the set list for the tour they played limelight they played all these older songs uh let me see distant early warner what else spirit of radio they're there la via it'd be really interesting to hear those like bootlegs and hear how those this modern sound i'm going to keep talking about sounds on something as old as in the mood or la via because it's a you know, even with some of the non-power windows hold your fire tracks, it doesn't quite sound right to me. But 
Uh, so next up we have so, Marathon, and it's it's one of my. I was it's... just gonna say, Jay, just before we go into oh, yeah, Marathon, yeah, go ahead. Um, it's just a little thing about the subdivisions, but I've always noticed that you can't really hear the where subdivisions. Have you have you noticed that in the track from oh, Alex? Yeah. You mean yeah. So cause... yeah, so it's, it actually sounds more like someone's just coughing. <laughs> like you can't actually hear that word subdivisions. That's a... I don't know if it's yeah. Alex. I don't know if Alex is actually the one who's saying it or if they've just got like a dub, with, you know, a, a pre-recorded sound, but it, you can't make it out. You can't hear it. That's a no, point. it's true because when I, when I, you know, found it on the studio album and I listened to it, I was like, oh my gosh, he's, he's saying subdivisions. I, I had yeah. had no idea. My, that's a point my dad always brings up is that as, especially as he and I were going through the catalog around like 2004, 2005, we noticed with each live recording of Subdivision, something different was happening with that exact moment. Uh, at, you know, in the music mm. video, Alex goes up and clearly lip syncs it. Like that's not, it's just the, that deep voice from the recording. It's not actually him. Then we get, we see it live here and he's actually saying it, but clearly the band realized that ain't working out so well. It doesn't sound very good. Without Alex going, <laughs> he doesn't really even. Yeah. It really does sound like that. It really sounds yeah. like a little cough. And so then, like with later live albums, I think a lot of you have noticed he either lip syncs it or he doesn't say it at all. I think recently he won't even go up to the mic. They'll just play it. Um, sometimes he says mm. it and it's in the background. You know, they've done a lot of different things with that. But I agree with Carl. It doesn't sound so yeah. great with him just saying it by himself. Yeah. So let's go to my one of my favorite tracks, Marathon. And uh, I don't know if it get, You know, I would say I don't know if it gets any better than this live performance of Marathon, but then we had Time Machine Tour, and that, you know, that blew that out of the water. But I, they're very different recordings. Um, this one, obviously, is a bit... is very special because it's so new, and it, like I keep saying, it's got that new sound that fits that power window sound. Um, but you kind of get a little bit more of the rawness with this recording you think that you kind of get what i'm saying madison oh yeah yeah and that was one of the things that i noticed or that i that i kind of made a note of when i was listening to the to the album was um getty's getty's baseline in particular and and this is and and this baseline is a great example of what you're talking about earlier about how composed a lot of these songs are mm-hmm. um you know i just I love what what Getty's doing with that baseline. It's it's so much more interesting um, than most other music that was out there at the time, and and um, and even even music today. Like there's um, whatever what I you know I'm not a bassist, so whatever Getty's doing, it feels like like it it, it puts you in the mood of of um, that sort of urgency and like driving sort of sense that you that you might get from a marathon i've always really liked that oh yeah it's such a busy line that he's playing Carl, yeah. how do you feel about marathon uh, this one song live this is my all-time favorite live performance of a song um <laughs> there's there's just something about this performance whether it's just listening to the cd whether it's actually watching it on the um the dvd uh, i absolutely adore marathon and if there's one thing missing from it it's just a really shoddy video quality um 
in the background. You know, mm. you know, in the background, they've got that. They've got a guy like a. He looks like a model. He's running. Um, he looks like he's running through a lot of white, blocky landscape. Do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only. Did we lose Carl? Incredible solo on it. Oh, he's back. We lost you for two seconds, yeah. Carl. Do you? Oh, um, sorry. Um, do, don't you think that part of what makes this recording so great is Getty's vocals, and that he's able to get those high notes, especially after the after the the key change, the modulation towards the end of the song, he gets up there and really hits that note. Oh yeah. I mean, and this is this is my favorite era for Getty's voice, like the real screechy Ged. Mm. I've always I've always loved this, and he and he and like through this through the whole entire album and through the whole video, like he nails all of those high notes so well. Yeah, and he, I mean he's he's singing with such great you know such great feeling here. I'm going to assume both of you. I think, oh, go ahead, Carl. I was just going to say I think um, pretty much echoing what Madison just said. Getty's voice in this live performance, it feels like it's amongst his most um, controlling performances. Like, I feel like early on, like, uh, extra stage left and all the way on the stage, it's re- it is very screechy. It's um, it's almost like he's letting it go too much. And then, I've said this to you in the past, the later live performances, the more recent ones, um, I feel like his voice, it's declined, and, it, you know, he, he, he can no longer get to that point. I always felt like Show of Hands was the it was for me the pinnacle of you know his vocals. Yeah, he does a great job. Now I'm going to assume both of you like the Hold Your Fire material. We're talking a lot about Power Windows, and if you like this record, I guess you like the Hold Your Fire stuff as well. Turn the page. Oh yeah, is it's the lone opportunity we get as listeners in the 2000s to hear this song live, and aside from bootlegs, and in fact, I'm I'm almost positive it hasn't been played. Uh, after the Hold Your Fire tour, it hasn't been played live. But I remember as a someone learning bass guitar, I always wanted to figure out how he was playing that intro. At the time, I could never understand what he was doing. And then I finally got this record and got to watch him play it. And it's it's not an, another very busy bass line, very similar to Marathon. Marathon, Big Money, Turn the Page, a very uh, similar bass lines. Mm. You know what I'm saying, Madison? Yeah, yeah, I you know like i said i'm i'm not a bass player but but um i find myself always being drawn to what getty's doing i think just because there's so much there and there's so much that you know as as kind of a, a neophyte there there's a lot for me to to pick out even though i i don't really know that much technically about what he's doing it's interesting enough that as a layperson i can i can feel like i can follow along and really and really just enjoy what he's doing how he's fleshing those tunes out mm-hmm. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, yeah, with um, <clears throat> with turn the page, you can, you can, yeah, you can really hear the the bass on Geddy. Uh, Alex has a kind of nice little miniature solo going on here, and um, the thing that I take from Alex, it you kind of feel it from the first already the first few songs on this performance, but he just seems happy. He's really, really going for it. It's oh, not yeah. a carbon copy. of of what you hear on the studio recordings, he really throws himself into it. And um, obviously, as the sh- as as the show progresses, you see him joking around. You see him, you know, just having. It looks like he's having having a whale of a time. And it, it, you, I, I feel like in turn the page with that solo, you see him. You know, he's, he's getting there with it. Yeah, there are there are times where he goes full rock star on this in this video, and 
that segment in Turn the Page where Getty and Neil just kind of play the same thing over and over and Alex goes is um, is something I always liked on the actual on Hold Your Fire on the studio record. But like you said, here he totally opens it up. Those pinch harmonics are so characteristic of his guitar's style and his guitar sound on these two records. That, that moment, I think, Carl, could be very representative of the whole record. Um, yeah. We talked about Manhattan Project a bit. Uh, I, I, we got to give Carl a chance to say some more about it. Um, I watched this video this morning again with my girlfriend, <coughs> and she I didn't say anything to her. I was very, like, I didn't... I said, hey, i got to watch this video before I record. Uh, do you mind? She's like, yeah, whatever. So she's sitting there on her phone and looking up occasionally... And during Manhattan Project, she said, "What what is this song about?" I said, "Well, it's called Manhattan Project. Do you know what that is?" She's doing, "Yeah." And she's listening. She's she's like, "But what about it? What about the Manhattan Project?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't I don't really know." So I, I started like saying the lyrics out <laughs> loud. Getty's kind of hard hard to understand if you're a brand new listener, you know, especially live. And I started saying the lyrics out loud, and I'm like, "Oh, this is you know, they're really well written lyrics." And she said. Without me prompting her, she's like, that's really cool because a lot of bands don't sing about that kind of stuff anymore. And then I you know, I, I went through, I'm like, yeah, this band really doesn't, they don't sing about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know? They're, they're singing about real people things, adult things, you might say. What do you think, Carl? It's a, it's a funny thing, because it is a very adult, you know, content-driven song. What I always found weird with the performance on the actual DVD was the whole cartoon side of it. So you do have a very serious subject uh, matter here with the old Hiroshima uh, bomb and such, and you do have the footage. You've got the Einstein image and the that infamous was the, like, like the little cottage, the hook getting blown away. But then it gets into space with these little cartoon um like sections which I don't know if they really worked on this song. I don't know if they were a bit too a bit too silly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I you know, coming from from this the perspective of being familiar with the album and then seeing the video later, it just it felt so out of place to me. When I first saw the cartoons, I was like, yeah. What is going on? So I kinda I kinda like pretend it didn't happen, <laughs> sort of forget about that. Um because, because, like you said, it's it's a content-driven song. That's that's what it's all about, and 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 so for me, the visuals are far less important for this song than mm. you know than another one. Now, mission is, uh, and then and then one other. Oh, go ahead. Oh, and just and just one just one last thing about about this recording in particular that I really like um, better than the studio recording is is. Um, I, I think I think Getty the way he sings this song uh, really fits really fits the the subject matter so much better than in the studio like that you know that last bit like as things are building and he's um, you know imagine a man where it all began instead of in the studio recording where it's like where it all began he's doing he does like that kind of screamy thing where it all like that where yeah. it all began and it just and he does that a couple of times you know yeah. like the and then the flying out of the shockwave. Yeah. He just, it's, it's, he just like, he just lets it loose, you know? And that, that just, I mean, it gives me the chills every time. And that's, uh, I mean, those, those, like, those real, real vibrato heavy moments 
of Getty's voice are really what I fell in love with. He does. He puts uh, a little more, first. a little more attitude, a little more stank on a couple notes in this song, and and, and on other yeah. songs on the record yeah. too. But I totally understand. It's those moments of spontaneity that are that make it. It, that make it worth it for the listener. If those moments didn't happen, mm. like the turn the page guitar part or Getty singing some of those notes with a little more attitude, we wouldn't buy these records. <laughs> you know, they'd be they'd be carbon copies, like Carl said. Right. You might as well just keep. You might as well just keep your studio albums. Yeah, yeah. Add some crowd noise would, and release the same record. Yeah, yeah. Would you Would you agree that the, the speed of this performance is a lot faster than the studio? Oh yeah, and that's another thing that surprised me when I saw that when I listened to the studio record. It's like, wow, this is this is a lot less, you know, high energy. Yeah. Um, and so that was another thing that I, you know, I'll always I'll always listen to this recording first. Yeah. Um, over the studio. It's funny because the one of the first things I noticed about this when I revisited it was that it it, it features, <laughs> in general, the band seems to be more mature performance wise because compared to exit stage left they're not rushing as much with the mm. you know specifically manhattan project and i think territories is wicked fast um the a lot of the others are are kind of sit in the pocket a little bit better and don't push so much which i so i think mm. we're seeing the band getting better at that and it's kind of funny because with the more recent live albums some of them even drag like they start songs significantly slower Maybe with maybe mm, knowing yeah. that they're going to rush, I, I don't know what their their thought process is. Um, Mission is a song that we say a lot of good things about a lot. I don't know if I've heard many people <laughs> say they don't like Mission. Um, what stands out to me most, aside from how com- completely amazing the performance is, is that in 1988, it's like, oh, I get to see the song that most should not fade out <laughs> i get to hear it <laughs> with a real ending right that is like if they're if i'm known for anything on Rushcast, it's insisting that Mer- uh, mission should not fade out and just one year less than a year after it's released we get to hear that if you're at a show on this tour and it's a good ending <laughs> yeah it's a wonderful yeah it ending. is yeah well, what else yeah, this though? is this is i think Oh, this is, I think, one of one of their most melodic and and like truly beautiful songs. Yes. I mean, Mission for me, just yeah, you know, it. I don't know what it what it is, but like they had the right special sauce when they wrote this song. Just it, without fail, every time I listen to it, you know, it it gives me that same like. There's there's like <laughs> a certain feeling that I associate with with Rush music, and it's the like I can't get it from anything else, but there's just like a rush feeling, and and mission is is it. Carl, just like Madison just said, she said exactly what my dad always says in a different way. My dad says this has got every the the best part of Rush and every style of Rush. It's all contained in this song. Well, when you hear it on the CD, you can hear there's a there's a very big crowd reaction to the song, especially with the solo at the end. And oh yeah. What a lot of people forget about with this particular performance is that this is the whole Joe Fire tour. So this this song, this performance, it's, it'll be the first time most people have heard it live. 
And for the band, it must have been very telling to them about how good the song was yeah. when the audience, having having only heard it for maybe less than a year, how they reacted to it because there's a there's, there's a noticeable positive reaction on that CD. Uh, let's talk about Mystic Rhythms for a second. Were you guys surprised they played this on this tour? Because I imagine in 1986. I hear Power Windows and I hear Mystic Rhythms and I'm like, well, this is cool and, and quirky, but they're never going to play this live. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. what. And it's a good I, recording, I, right, Madison? I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's a great recording. I think I think where, where I don't know if I agree is just because I, again, this was the first recording that I ever heard of Mystic Rhythms, and so it, it fit for me just because I, like this is where I learned it. So, you know, I was more surprised when I, when I was digging up the studio recordings for all these songs, how many of them were from different albums, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, that's just like the noob rush fan that was like, Oh wait, this, this song doesn't fit with all these other ones. Right. Essentially doing it backwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carl, do you like this? I think, um, I really love the recording. Uh, Mystic Rhythms is one of my girlfriend, sorry, one of my wife's favorite um, live performances of a Rush song. She loves Mystic Rhythms, and what I find interesting about this performance, and I, I didn't research this, but it's the only live song on Chronicles, the compilation. Right. So Mystic Rhythms is the final song, Chronicles. I can't remember many of the later compilations even featuring a live song. And I just it, I just find it interesting that this one performance, the band saw something in that, or even the record company saw something in this particular performance that they decided, yeah, this needs to be the final song on Chronicles. I love the performance, but there's something about it that for some reason they put it aside there for Chronicles. It's, it's a weird one. Yeah, in, those those compilations are always kind of quirky, in my opinion. Uh, I wanted to talk about what was I doing? Um, oh, Force Ten. Well, and we skipped time. over. Yeah, I'm skipping a couple of them here. We got uh, yeah, Distant yeah. Early Warning. We have uh, Witch Hunt coming up. What do you think about Distant Early Warning, Madison? Oh uh, well, when I was doing my research for this, um, I just I started noticing. Uh, just how heavy a lot of the the content of this of this uh, album are. I mean, is you know we have we have these three songs that are that are like the war songs. You've got Manhattan Project, you have Red Sector A, and then and then Distant Early Warning. I learned um, the Distant Early Warning line was a a line of radar stations in the Arctic that was set up during the Cold War. Um, as a as a detect as a detection system uh, for for what, like if the Russians were going to invade and and bomb North America. Oh, that's awesome! And I had I never had any I know, idea what that was. And I had, yeah, I I had I'd never had any idea what distant early warning ever meant. So I so I was doing that research and I and I read about that and I just thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. And and then something that struck me was that you know even though a lot of these songs are about um, pretty heavy stuff. You know, you've got big money, super cynical lyrics, um, subdivisions. You know, it's about like, you know, feeling alone in the world. Even though you've got all of these songs that are about, you know, heavy kind of serious topics, the album doesn't feel dark and it doesn't feel heavy. 
because it's I think the songs are arranged in such a way that that there's a, still like a hopeful lightness and and like a an overall positivity with the sort of over, overarches uh, through the through the album and then you know the way it ends off. But anyway, so I'm kind of rambling a bit. But that was that was one cool thing that I learned about Distant Early Warning. How about you, Carl? I can understand the band bringing Distant Early Warning into this tour because it gets a good reaction on um, the Grace Under Pressure uh, live show. So I, I, I get why they brought it back. I just think it's a shame we didn't get to see it on the show of hands um, DVD, you know. So we only get to hear the CD performance. We don't get to see whatever it was that they did visually with it. Always a good opportunity to see what uh, songs they bring back from the previous record. And in this case, yeah. I'm, I'm considering <clears throat> Grace Under Pressure as the previous record as we kind of bundle Power Windows and Hold Your Fire together on a show of hands. Uh, we have not only Just an Early Warning, which is is not surprising. It's a great track, it's, and it, they seem to get, it seems to get heavier the more they play it live. It seems to get, be more metal with each tour that's performed. Um, but we also get Red Sector A, which is, I've always been kind of shocked, and even, we'll, we'll get back to the ones I skipped, but let's talk about Red Sector A. I've always been shocked at how often they play it live, and how much they seem to like it. It's a great track, but it, it like Mystic Rhythms, it never felt like an extremely live-oriented song. Like, it, it, you know, it works live, and it's cool live, and I always like the ending of it live the best. Um, I think it's an opportunity for Getty to take his bass off and rest, and I think that has a lot to do with it. What about you, Carl? I, I, I've never liked Red Sector whether it's live, whether it's a studio version. I, 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 it, it comes across quite... I know, I know the subject matter is depressing, but the song as well, it's it's just a bit too miserable for me. Yeah, it, it drags um, a little bit. Not in the like the speed yeah. sense. It's, just, it's a little... you got to kind of like drudge through it. Not to say it's a yeah, bad song. I, I know you're not saying that. No, it, I mean, yeah... As 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 an you know song, it's it's a good song. It's it's an alright song, but I could do without it live. I mean, on the on the actual DVD, it's sandwiched between closer to the heart and force ten, which to me are two really positive bouncing songs. So Red Sector A, it's it's not it wasn't necessary here. Go ahead, Madison. Oh, um, so on the. On the album, it's sandwiched between Time Stand Still and Closer to the Heart. So again, sort of a weird position, but I don't know. I've, like I said, big World War II history fan. So it was, it was again, you know, right there with, with Manhattan Project as a song that stood out to me, you know, right from the beginning. Sure. And, um, and I, and then again, like the synth stuff that always, that always stood out. Yeah. And I think uh, what I meant to say at the beginning of this little Grace Under Pressure segment was that these songs benefit so greatly from not being played on that Grace Under Pressure tour equipment. And I know I said last week that <laughs> those songs sound good with those equipment. They sound more, I should say they sound more true to the original. But I think if you play Red Sector A on whatever, Time Machine or Snakes or whichever one of these more recent tours they played it on... Um, I think, in fact, it might be two or three of those tours. 
or just an early warning or red sector a or whatever they sound so so better with the newer equipment and the new sound or or let's take between the wheels from snakes and arrows live like you can't argue that doesn't sound amazing on that record oh so i yeah. think these benefit yeah. from ha- like for example the wall bass over the sign burger and whatever this white thing is alex plays a uh, really <laughs> cool sound now i i do think this is slightly related so i'm gonna jump out of the the set list here just just for a second and talk about the artwork on the front the front cover i absolutely love it it's when you look at neil it's a bit minimalistic (laughs) you know it's intentionally uh minimalistic as he's playing two drums a bass drum and a snare um (laughs) it's it's one tiny level away from being perfect and that's Getty missing his bass guitar. I don't mind him playing the keyboard, but as a Rush fan in 1998, or 1988, I keep saying that. In 88, if I get this as the newest Rush release and I look at it and go, oh. It reminds me of the documentary when the guy was like, yeah, it's my favorite bass player. I see him up there like not playing his bass, and I that's when I kind of fell out of touch with the band. Um, that resonates with me here, where I, I don't mind the music, because he always plays his bass in the music, but on the cover, I might go, oh, boy, this ain't looking good. <laughs> Grace under pressure, power windows, hold your fire, more and more and more synths. And here he is um, playing, not even holding a bass guitar. It's like, oh, uh, the 90s aren't looking so great. Do you guys like the yeah, artwork? Yeah, it's kind of that, that last death knell. Yeah. And, and, um, and Alex seems to be holding one of his like signature bends at the end of a solo and leaning back. I, I think the artwork is perfect. Even Getty's triangular head, it just <laughs> it just works. I mean, the, the artwork, it's, it, it looks wonderful, and then we even get the pleasure of seeing it used for the introduction video, uh-huh. and it then gets used for Force 10 as well. So I think the, the only sad thing about the artwork is that we, didn't get, we don't get to see the full Force 10 video. There are sections in that song where you can just make something out behind the band, and it is the cartoon carrying on playing, but we never get to see all of it. So uh, I love the artwork. It's just a shame we never get to see all of it during Force 10. Madison, do you like it? Yeah, it it um, it's very much in keeping with with the guys' taste and and I guess preference for not having themselves on their covers. You know, it's. It's kind of like that that meet you in the middle halfway point. Be like, okay, we don't want to be on our own cover, but but how about a cartoon of us? <laughs> yeah, in the lighting, we got these three spotlights, kind of like a seafoam blue, um, and then these uh, light purples for the other two are very reminiscent of the lighting in the show. The li- you know, you can see yeah. especially on Neil's mm, yeah. w- whitish pinkish white kit and Alex's. Um, paper white guitar you can see the colors of the lights really easily and they're very um, they're in a very turquoise in a way if you know what I mean I know that's a specific color but they um, they're very similar to the colors of the the album art but anyway let's let's get back Maybe. to the songs I want to hear about witch hunt from you guys because I I think everyone knows my stance on these uh, on witch hunt and the weapon specifically but I want to hear from you guys how about you Madison Oh, I've always really enjoyed Witch Hunt. Um, I think, I think especially here in this recording, it has a really great, really great energy. Um, I, I like, I like the way that the song is structured. So right from the, you know, right off the, off the bat, um, 
you know, it starts off and there's, and it's almost as if they're, they're building a mood with the song, you know, it starts off and Getty singing, the night is black without a moon. And there's just like some, some minute, you know, the minimal music going on, but, but what it is is really dark and foreboding and it builds up into, into like where they really let loose with Getty's, you know, Oh, you know, great big thing. Mm. And, um, and it, and, and so I, I like the way that the sound mirrors the imagery in my mind of the way a mob comes together. Right. And like, you know, you, cause you have these individual people and then they come together and form this big group. And then it's like, this is a force to be reckoned with. Is this a big track for you, Carl? Honestly, not not really. Um, I I don't miss it when I'm watching the DVD. Um, but then I've I've just always been like that with Witch Hunt. Where the the, the fear trilogy is concerned, I even have freeze up ahead of Witch Hunt. I, I, it's a bit too it's a bit too slow for my liking. Most of other than mission, most of this live performance is quite a, you know, it's 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 quite a bouncy, fast-paced performance. And which ones? It's a little bit too slow. It's a little bit too negative for me to be on there. I generally like the song, but live, I, I could do without it. Yeah, you're describing exactly how I would, um, how I would paint Witch Hunt in my head as like a 13 year old. I would look at him, but nope, yeah. it's slow. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted. I liked Rush for yeah. the higher energy stuff and the more positive st- uh, music. So I've learned to appreciate Witch Hunt for different reasons now. Um, but again, if I were a younger person, you, that's exactly how I would describe my liking for Witch Hunt. Uh, I think else? the weapon would have worked better. What else do we have here? Let's uh, let's talk about Force Ten. I mean, we know now that they're gonna play the first track from the record on that tour we know it's gonna happen and similar i like having time stand still right after it the one two punch is kind of cool and obviously these both benefit from being brand new songs and being so fresh and played on those the instruments they were recorded on um and i i don't even feel like i need to say a lot about these two tracks because they're so good they're they're just they're classics in a sense you guys like both of these songs just like I do, Madison? Oh, definitely. I my my notes for for these two songs are <laughs> not really that interesting. It's more just like I like it. It's you know, <laughs> um, I I think I think the part, especially in Force Ten, that I that just really really like um, resonates is is when when everything kind of quiets down and and Getty's saying look into the eye of the storm look out to the force without form and underneath that like so the way he's singing it's pretty calm it's pretty subdued but underneath that he's going bonkers on that bass <laughs> and i i mean i i don't know how he's playing it so fast but like and you know and neil is playing this really repetitive like um just repetitive like over and over and over and but alex is totally different than either of those. He's playing like this really sort of melodic, um, sort of, uh, sort of like ribbon like thread until it finally gets to that, to that great climax. Um, so it, it, I think it's just a great, it's a great example of, of the way that they can actually write music that, that just works so well together. This is, I think a great 
showcase for this new guitar that Alex has and this big old floating bridge that he's got on it. All I wrote in my notes for Force 10 was whammy bar, exclamation point, where he's just, he <laughs> yeah, slams yeah. on that thing through the whole song. And I also wrote harmonics in the during the bridge right before like the big... Um, right in the bridge right before that it's very quiet and neil's doing this like very uh repetitive rhythmic thing and alex is playing these beautiful harmonics that are different than we hear on the studio album and it's just those tiny little tweaks like i was saying what we were talking about with Mm -hmm. madison that make it worth it and make it interesting um carl how do you feel about forest 10 it's a it's a fantastic performance, and I f- I feel it's quite close to the studio version. Um, I the, some of the earlier tracks I turned the page, Man Out and Project. I feel like the uh, I want the big money if they come away from the studio version a bit. But Force Ten, I feel is very close to what we hear on the original recordings. Yeah. Um, I, I the power in it's fantastic. When Alex first comes into the song at the very beginning. It, the force of that guitar heart, it's it's just fantastic to hear. And um, it's supported on the DVD um, version with, that again, the wonderful artwork. We get to see these cool cartoons playing around doing their thing. So um, overall, it's, it's a great experience. Fantastic tune. Now, time- I think it really speaks to, just real quick, I, I yeah. think I think what you're saying about how, um, how the song you know, live is so similar to, to how it was done in the studio. I think that just speaks to, to how, how good it came together in the studio Mm -hmm. that, because, you know, like I said, I, I tend to prefer the live, the live performances, but, uh, but force 10 is so good in the studio. Like it, it just, it has that, that energy that we, that we know and expect from, from rush. Now I think time stands still on this record represents it showcases the opposite end of the spectrum uh of the capabilities of this new guitar god i wish i remember the name of it i'm talking about it so much i talked with brandon dyke about this at length on an old episode and he laid it all out for me but um uh sort of like a a cleaner signal maybe a different pickup that he's using on the intro of time standstill still layered with chorus uh but for me the high point of time standstill a song that I think is top five greatest songs from a songwriting perspective. The high point for me will always be that gnarly bass lick during the second verse. Or the second chorus, I should say. Do you guys know which one I'm talking about, Carl? Um, where, where it comes like you talking about the instruments and that you're so, so on it with all that chat and all that. So when you talk about like the bass lick in the second course, I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> honestly. Um, but what I, what I will say about time standstill, um, I'm, I'm generally, I'm generally not a fan of it studio live. And the thing that does annoy me the most about this recording is when those opening notes kick in and the crowd scream like, girls at a boy band concert yeah 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 <laughs> it's the only time it's the only time in the whole recording the whole album that you hear this kind of, it's like all the women jump up at once i, I don't know what it is about it but it's, it's just so weird well that's so a good weird. way to say it. that so, might so, be the closest they ever got to being a boy band so that's a good way to say it yeah it's it's a strange yeah, reaction because yeah. you don't hear it anywhere else carl your honesty might be one of the highlights of of rushcast's history 
It's so great. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no, so don't I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I I love that. I love when people are like, yeah, you talk about all that stuff, man, but I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I I genuinely don't. I, when I when I hear you talking about it, I I feel like I'm listening to um, like geniuses at work. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm like, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. Madison, you seem to have an ear for the bass lines. Do you know what lick I'm talking about? You know. Oh, I'm I'm with Carl on this one. Oh my! <laughs> I can't I can't hear it. I, I'm, I would I'm argue trying, it's I'm like one playing of the, this song in my head, and I'm not hearing it. It's one of the flashiest bass line bass licks that he's ever played. It's like one measure long. You, all right, Madison, tell me about Time Stand Still, and I'm gonna tell you. Ex- I gotta find the lyrics. I'm gonna tell you exactly where. Yeah, it is. yeah, find it, find it. Well, this song, this song for me is another one of Getty's high points as far as the way he's he's uh, controlling his vocals. Um, you know, he's because this song, you've got a lot of those high sort of um, shrill kind of notes. And I love that he, he kind of puts like a trill on the end of it. Like in, in particular, one of my favorite just little moments of the song is when he's singing freeze this motion. But he does this like freeze this motion. And he like does this vibrato. Oh, I yeah, can't even Getty, duplicate it, but it, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. The, I, mean, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? The Getty vibrato. And, you know, and then like the time stands still and he like does I, I just oh i love that like i said before those those moments were were what sold me on the rush sound oh yeah you know i i i feel like i feel like the general public can be divided into two groups of people there's people that that love getty lee's voice and there's people that hate it and and i i'm i love it <laughs> you you you're saying all this so nicely and I often don't have words to describe it. So thank you. Um, but again, an example <laughs> of great songwriting here, um, uh, learns to live as if, as if each step was the end. Uh, oh, yeah. one of the moments I, I just had it here. It is. Um, I let my pass go too fast, no time to pause. And then this next line is sung so high up. That's like, that's a very much an Enola gay moment, right? It's like it's sort yeah, of a peak, yeah, like goosebump moment because he sings it with so much more emotion in, in the second verse. Uh, yeah. And also, I've always liked the way Getty, the the musical decision that he made as a vocalist when he sings this song live. Obviously, we've got Amy Mann on board, but she's not here to perform it, so they've just got it as a backing track. And Getty chooses in the in the chorus to just simply sing the higher part, whereas. I believe in the original, Amy sings the high part. Or maybe, I, this is kind of an argument I've had with people. Some people think it's two Getty voices, one higher, one lower. Regardless, Getty chooses to just simply sing the higher part as the main melody. And I think that does so much more for the song. And in fact, he still does it. Even in 2010 when they played it live and recorded it. He sings that higher part and it, it adds so much more energy to the melody. Do you, get, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe Carl. Carl's like, it's, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, this time, I, I definitely know what you're talking about. Um, I, de- I definitely think the vocal on the slide performance is better than the studio one. It just feels more, it, it's passionate. He sounds like he's just really into it. Um, again, with it being the Hold Your Fire tour, this is still kind of a fresh song for him performing live. So maybe he just absolutely loved performing it it came back in later tours it's obviously a special song and um i think it comes across in that vocal he he really does hit those high notes more so than in the studio track all right if yeah. you're i've seen go ahead madison i uh, just w- real quick i've yeah. seen interviews of um 
you know, and and interviewers interviewers will ask Getty, you know, what's it like to sing Neil's lyrics? And he talks about how he can't, like, he almost can't give his stamp of approval if he doesn't feel connected to the song. And I feel like Time Stand Still is one of those where, like, all, all three of them are dialed in. They're all feeling it. You know, it's it's it just comes together so perfectly, so seamlessly. And I, you know, and with the way that Getty sings it here. I think it's just a great example of that. Okay, so here we go. If you're like Carl and you don't give a crap about my analysis, <laughs> then buckle down for a minute. We'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> I like busting on Carl. I wouldn't here. say I wouldn't say I, I said it. I, it's not that I don't like what you're saying. I just don't get you it. I think it's yeah, cool. No, you're, you're like my dad. He's like, I can't recall the exact moment in the song like you can. You know, when I'm listening to the show, I, I don't know what moment you're talking about. Uh, I'm going to yeah, try I'm, to lay I'm it gonna, out for you. Cause I, I I'm going to back Carl up on this one. Sometimes I, can, sometimes I can get him. Sometimes I don't. And I always think, man, I wish Jay would just like play the freaking bit that he's talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I know. Now, I used to, and two things happened. I, uh, one, I got lazier. <laughs> it takes a lot of work to insert. Fair enough. <laughs> I have to re-listen to the episode and find where those moments are, right? Um, but more importantly, there's, and a lot of people ask me to do this. People email me and say, can you just put them the segments in there? There's a, There are a lot of like copyright issues with a free podcast. Mm. So I, And I, I like keeping a Rush song that's related to the episode at the beginning of the episode. And I don't want to overstep my boundaries I've read some things that say like you can use a quick thirty seconds, but anything more than that, you're you're getting into trouble. So I don't want to get the show shut down. So that's the reason <laughs> I'm not putting more copyrighted material into the show. As much as cool as that is. That's fair. So here enough. we go. He says in the first chorus, freeze this moment a little bit longer, make each sensation a little bit stronger. And then Getty goes, da 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 and that's his fill. Later on the bass, and later we get in the second chorus. Freeze this moment a little, bit, uh, freeze this moment a little bit longer. Make each sensation a little bit stronger. And Getty goes, ba da 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 da. He like he goes completely bonkers on a set of sixteenth notes. That I did a, an episode on bass licks before, and that's I think that's up there, man. It's just one of the best licks he's ever done. But okay, we're done with that. I promise we don't need to say any more about that bass lick or that song. Um, we've only got one song left in terms of the CD, and that's Closer to the Heart. Now, this is a song I think suffered greatly from uh, these newer instruments. I think this was... I don't think the wall bass fits this song. I don't think this new guitar or, or electronic drums, for that matter, fit Closer to the Heart. And as I've said on the, in the last couple of weeks, I don't necessarily love the extended improvising and dancing and things on closer to the heart so it makes sense as a closing song to close the album however it does not close the actual show in terms of the actual set list it closes the album but not the set list so that's all i'm saying is i don't like the sound on this one and i don't love the super extension during closer to the heart what what about you uh, madison well, I think I think what you were saying earlier about how you'd be kind of interested to to hear like Limelight and some of those other older songs um, that didn't that don't appear on the, on the album or the video, I think right here is a good example of what you might hear, and I don't think you'd be that happy about it. Um, 
you know, just because whatever whatever instruments they're playing don't necessarily lend themselves that well to this sound. Mm-hmm. And and I'm with you. I don't really like the improvised stuff. I kind of want them to just play the song the way it was get written originally. Get in and get out. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a great song. It's got a great message, but I think I think they draw it out a little too much here. Go ahead, Carl. I'll tell you something, though. When you see them performing this on the actual DVD, just one thing I just want to say is that Alex Lifeson looks so happy when he starts the song. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's doing some, some of that windmill stuff guitar. later on as well. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got the little nod and while he plays the acoustic guitar. I just watch him and think, oh, he looks so <laughs> happy. <laughs> yeah, now, that's, I, that, you know, that is something about the whole show, though. They all look like they're having yeah, a blast. Absolutely. They, absolutely. they do. The There's, thing- oh, and I didn't say this before, but my favorite part of the big money, and I I never got this until I saw the video, right at the very end when they, they play that chord, and then they, they kind of hold for a second, and it's silent, and then yeah. and they finish with that wham. And Neil scratches his head. <laughs> yeah, he like scratches his head, yeah. and they, they're all standing there. Around. it's just it's a real it's a cute i mean it's a cute moment i'm a girl i'm gonna say it it's cute i think it's something that gets um it, it gets lost in the later uh, later years they, they do look like they're playing about with each other there's a lot of camaraderie between alex and neil um, alex and getty all the way through the show there's a lot of it and uh, whether it's because age maybe got the better of them later on they, you just don't see that in the later shows yeah it's interesting how they are younger. They're so much younger, and their their performance style changed so much. Um, I, I also wanted yeah. to say, in Big Money, they do that like Cheech and Chong teaser at the very end. Remember? Yeah, I think that's yeah. what that is. Yeah, which they they often yeah, play it right, my at the ends of songs a lot. It was kind of like that, and the Cygnus X One teaser were were kind of regulars for a while. Um, I wrote down like such a long ending on Closer to the Heart in like in and of itself aside from the improvisation. So we get out of the extension and finally we're going to end the song and the song still never ends. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and they yeah, play this big yeah. long note and they hold it for like five minutes. It's like, man, <laughs> I, w- I would really like to get the payoff of the last note for this thing. And I, I wrote and down... maybe it's one of those moments... Well, it, maybe it's one of those moments where it's just like that the, the crowd is is you know you know they're they're like reading the crowd like hold it out you know maybe sure. it's one of those you had to be there kind of things. That's I don't a great know. point. Um, I wrote down something that I want to be I want to be known for this. I'm very proud of this. So my girlfriend's watching it. She's never seen Rush. She and during Closer to the Heart, as they come out of the improv section or maybe into the improv section, Getty starts, like, running over to Alex. But he's doing his classic, like, skip thing. And so I'm trying to explain (laughs) to my girlfriend that there's, like, oh, uh, you know, this is just what they do. Like, yeah, Neil never smiles, and Alex is doing, like, this windmill thing. Yeah, sometimes he goes full rock star, (laughs) right? And just as I say that, Getty starts doing this thing, and I'm like, oh, and that's, like, that's the Getty Lee giddy up, <laughs> and I just think it's the greatest description of what that is. It, he's it's a it's like a horse. It's the Getty Lee giddy up, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna get that copyrighted, and it's gonna be my thing forever. Yeah, my wife always says he looks like a pigeon when he does that. <laughs> 
that one might well, be and, even more it, accurate. I think <laughs> it, it. I think it's especially good with the coonskin, the coonskin oh, yeah. uh, oh, cap haircut, which I I think I, I will be first in line to defend that haircut. I think I think it's awesome, and and I think all three of the guys this era. I think this is when they look to their best. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, if you I like the, the I just raccoon, think it's hilarious. Then yes, I think Alex's hair looks really cool in this one. And I, Alex actually looks <laughs> awesome. And um, Neil somehow just decided to chop off that 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 braided ponytail, which was the greatest decision. <laughs> I yeah. like Neil with short I, hair. I, yeah, Neil Neil looks so good with short hair. Getty's always got to have it long. I like Alex with it sort of around his shoulders. You know how he has it here. But I so I think I think all three of the guys really nailed their looks here. Now let's talk about these three tracks that were not included on the audio version. And just sorry, Jay, just Jay, just before we do, just yeah, one sure. other note about the the CD. Uh-huh. Um, it didn't come up, but did you know half of the CD was actually from American performances? Half of the CD was what? Half of the CD is actually uh, recorded in America. Oh no! So it's two different tours, right? Um, no, it's it's the whole Jafia tour. But for some reason, I don't know why. Um, the CD that you listen to, half of the tracks are from the Birmingham performances, but then you've got the track turn the page. That's in New Orleans. Manhattan Project is in Phoenix, Arizona. Missions in San Diego, California. And there's there's a few other tracks there. What you're hearing is actually in America. You can't tell because of the way they. Um, they like combine the songs as they cut across. But if you look it up, actually, half of those tracks that you're hearing are actually in America. See, why did they do that? I know they don't do it on, you know, in more recent live albums. You got to imagine they just had a mistake. Somebody goofed in those songs, and they thought, well, we'll bring the cameras to the next show, and we'll we'll do it again. Well, well that's just it. The, the Birmingham show is fine. So I don't know why they didn't just use it all i don't know well in in a couple of interviews that i that i read it um they were the band were they were really disappointed with the way the exit stage left turn turned out they didn't like how sterile it was how you couldn't hear the crowd and so this uh this while they were cutting the cd together it sounded like they were they were just taking it really really seriously that they wanted to get the absolute best performances and it took them weeks and weeks and they went through like hundreds and hundreds of hours of of recordings and audio and video to select the ones now i don't know why they chose different recordings for the video versus the cd but but that was that was what i was reading about how they were they were just really concerned about about getting that balance right. So maybe that had to do with had something to do with it. I I also read that you know even like the Birmingham shows they played they played at that um, that arena three different times. Yeah, and and Alex yeah and Alex was saying that even night to night they hadn't changed the mics they hadn't changed the equipment each each night things sounded different on the recordings. Yeah, you know, the, the the differences between the audio and the video components of this record are very off-putting to me. They don't, I don't like it. Um, I understand why it, it happens, and, but I'm happy it wasn't so dramatic on any other live album that we get in the future after this one. Because, like, we're going to talk about these next three tracks that were, you could only get on the video version. They are three 
supremely juicy tracks. It's not like they have Witch Hunt and Closer to the Heart and, and I don't know, what's it, Red Sector A or something. Do you know what I mean? As bonus tracks. It's three tracks that we, <coughs> that we really never get to hear again, in a sense. Um, and I understand why they do that. They want to entice you to buy the second one. But I'm glad Rush is a band that decided that wasn't exactly how they wanted it, it to go down during in you know in the future. Um, but let's let's start with Prime Mover, and the fact that I think I think it's a real travesty that this song never really saw the light of day again. I insisted we would hear it on R40, and I was dead wrong. Um, I'm surprised this isn't a song that they love. But uh, another example of a song that's a cool. Um, I, I wrote cool non-fade out. Another song that just sounds good if you just end it. And the uh, the other note I wrote was missed pinch harmonic. One of my favorite moments of the song is that squealy pinch harmonic that Alex does during the verse. And I don't know if he missed it. They're, those pinch harmonics are very difficult to execute as a guitarist. Or if he just uh, decided not to play it, which he does often. A lot of times on studio recordings... Um, he'll play pinch harmonics, and then live, he very clearly just decides to not even try, to not even go for the pinch harmonic because he might miss it. Do you guys know what pinch harmonic I'm talking about? No, but nope. I'd love you to explain. Okay. <laughs> All right, let me get a little technical, and I will find the spot I'm talking about, and I think you might be able to hear it. Uh, a pinch harmonic is when a guitarist has a ton of gain, a ton of distortion like we hear Alex with most of the time, but especially on this recording. If you take the pick and you pick the string and also let the pick, the string rolls off the pick and then just kind of touches the tip of your thumb on your right hand, you, you create a harmonic and a really high-pitched harmonic. However, that has to happen on the exact correct spot on the string for it to work. If you're a millimeter to the left or right on the string, it won't make any sound. So they're very hard to execute. And that's why Alex often doesn't even try. Now, let me see. Here we have, uh, what song am I talking about? Prime Mover. Prime Mover, yeah. Uh, it's in the first verse. He says, alternating currents in a tidewater surge. Ba-da-da-ba-da-ba. You know what guitar part I'm talking about now? Yeah. It's that that last note. Do-da-da-ba-da. And then that last note is super high-pitched. That's a pinch harmonic. And Alex is so so good at them, but it's I've I've, also, I've often been surprised. So in this case, it kind of sounds like he simply missed it, and he didn't just try to go around it. Uh, but anyway, a great track that I'm I'm annoyed that they don't play it often more, or they don't play it live more often, and um, a song that really shines on this record. How about you, Madison? Sorry. How do you feel about it Prime? Cut Movie? out for a second. Oh, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about Prime Mover. It's never, it's never been one that that stood up to me very much, and so I, and I didn't actually write anything down about it. So now, Carl, <laughs> take Carl, it away, Carl might throw this into the um, the boy band category again. No, I, I actually love this song. Um, it's one that grew on me over the years. Um, I have a possible idea for why they didn't play it so much in later years, and it's just the simple fact that Alex isn't—he's kind of underrepresented on the song. It is very synth-heavy, and 
you know, later years, the, the fans have grown older. And, uh, you know, we've grown into the likes of uh, Vapor Trails and Clockwork Angels, which have become heavier. And so something like Prime Mover, it might get a little bit lost for some fans. Um, and, yeah, I just don't think there's enough guitar from Alex to really warrant playing it later on. Something extreme, but I do like it. Something purely unique about this song when it's played live is that we get to hear Alex's vocals, like, kind of... Uh, exposed and and um vulnerable you know like at the very end we get ooh yeah ooh, from alex and it's it's nothing else is happening in this in the music that's it's just well, every time they normally when they when they have alex singing it's it's with a ton of distortion you, you don't even know it's him so that is pretty unique yeah he yeah. does a good job i was too. watching it with um I was watching it with, the, with uh, my wife last night, and it's like it was something she hadn't noticed before. He was doing that, and she turned to me and she says, um, "What's he singing? What's he doing?" And I, and I was like, "I don't know. He's <laughs> just kind of humming." Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's a weird little touch. I, I don't maybe he just felt like doing one of his little moments. Yeah, I like. I mean, I I'll always say good things about Prime Mover. Now I want to talk about Territories yeah. next because I want to talk about Lock and Key last. Um, territories. A treat to hear live recently on Clockwork Angels Live. Um, I don't know if it had been played since uh, or before between Clockwork Angels Live and this tour. I don't know if it had ever been performed. But um, with all the other Power Windows tunes in the same vein, it just sounds so great with these instruments. Um, I wrote, why does the original fade out? Such a good ending. And this one, like I said earlier, feels... I don't know if they're rushing or if it's just straight up faster than the original. Do you hear me, Madison? Um, again, don't have a whole lot to say about territories. I'm less familiar with the video than than the album. Oh, uh, I see. For a show of hands, yeah. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, it's uh, it's a fantastic performance um i've already mentioned that i'm not a massive fan of the synth period i do enjoy it for the most part but compared to the other periods it's it's down there for me but the synthesizers in the song i think they've actually ramped up a little bit and it gives it just gives the song that little bit extra um again getty is he's so into it he seems like he's throwing his head back during vocals and you know he's the whole band in this particular uh, tune, they are they're just so on it, and it's a shame it didn't end up on the album. While well, we had to deal with something like Witch Hunt, <laughs> right? Now, I think Lock and Key, surprisingly, and I, this is something I learned just this week watching the video. Lock and Key is I wrote in all capital letters, sick. It's just an absolute um, uh, beast on this record. It is, um, yeah. You know, in a yeah. similar way, this reminds me of how I, when I revisited their music videos and learned, you know, Lock and Key might be one of their best music videos ever. It's such a sleeper song to begin with. Um, I had actually even forgotten it was performed on this tour. That's how much of a sleeper it was. Um, I wrote, guitar sound is positively perfect. Uh, the singing <coughs> is amazing on this recording. And Getty is maybe yeah. the busiest he's ever been. Playing bass, playing bass pedals, singing and playing keyboards i don't know if i've ever seen him go back and forth between those three or four things so often do you know uh well madison said she hadn't had a ton of experience with the video songs what about you carl 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen this video many times. It's it's a shame it only ever end up on the laser disc. Yeah. I mean I I don't I don't know any reason why it never ended up on the, the DVD, the VHS release. I've got no idea. I read no it idea. a second ago um, I was reading before we were recording. Keep keep going, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um and Getty's got that awesome high note at the very end when he comes back in with the, uh, you know, I don't want to face the killer instinct. And yeah. his vocals, they're on the verge of like shattering glass. Yeah. So up there, um, it's, it's just, it's incredible the way he sounds. And then you've got the cool little quirky intro video. I think it's called The Last Mile, that little old black and white movie. Uh, it's a good way to introduce it. And then the band just let rip. It's, it's a, such a shame. It was never on the final release. This is from. Well, and I, I will, I will jump in to say this really quickly. Mm-hmm. I never, it, lock and key on on the studio album didn't stand out to me until, until I'd really listened to the album, you know, a lot. My initial, my initial feeling was, man, I wish they'd done Open Secrets instead. But I think wow. lock and key live, like it just, it just sounds. And I know I'm in the minority saying this, but but lock and key live, I think. I, I, you know, coming from from having been familiar with the album first, I think I really missed out um, on hearing that hearing that that live version because it is so good and I, it's just a great song. Um, I, I think it's it's written well to be played live. I, I'm just I'm just baffled that you just said you you'd like to hear Open Secrets live because I, I'm so with you. I know, but I, I know. I've I'm never met a single soul in my life who has uttered those words before. I've never heard anyone go, you know, yeah, that's cool. It's heavy and stuff. It's high energy. But I would rather hear Open Secrets live. That's a what a great track. <laughs> but see, but see, like, but that but that's just because I I was familiar, you know. Because I, because I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't been very, I wasn't very familiar with the, with the video. So what I knew of Lock and Key and Open Secrets was from the studio album, and I don't know what it is, but I've always just really liked Open Secrets. But now that I'm getting more familiar, it's like, oh, okay. And now I feel gypped that it, Lock and Key wasn't included on, on the album. So yeah, this so is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like paying, you know, paying my penance <laughs> in that way. This is from 2112.net. It says Lock and Key was only included on the first run of pressing of the laser discs in the U.S., kind of like Carl was yeah. saying, uh, which have a lavender yeah. label on the disc. It was later included on the R40 bonus disc. Um, so I that mm, sounds yep. like they ran out of room. I don't know if that's true. That's my um, that's my gut. But you know, I I'm just so. Um, somebody asked me yesterday if you could live in any decade, what what would it be? And I said, like, now? This one? <laughs> like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back in time to, like, you know, old those weird old phones that you guys used to use. And, <laughs> um, you know, like... Car phones and stuff? <laughs> yeah, like, all the technological advances are, in general, better. You know, they, they're a step in the right direction. I don't want to go back to when we had laser discs and cassettes and, and even vinyls. Sorry, I, I don't have any desire to listen to music on vinyl. Or I don't think it was convenient in any way. Um, so I, I don't miss the days where they just couldn't fit enough music on one, whatever medium it was, where they just ran out of room. I don't miss that or, or envy it. I, I wasn't even around for it. Um, so, yeah, I said it. And I know I'll you're buy, all angry at me, I'll but buy, that's how um, I feel. 
I've got a, I've actually got a show of hands on LP, and I've got to admit, it does mm. sound nice. It sounds good. LP, where's that? Like Lincoln Park? <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. It's okay. Everybody relax. Well, we laughed. <laughs> um, all right, it's cool. This was a fun episode. I, I, would, I could geek out about this late 80s stuff all day long. Um, so for oh, yeah. Madison Vandenberg in Salt Lake City, thanks so much, Madison. You're so welcome. Happy to be here. And Carl Hodgson in the UK. <laughs> what part of the UK are you in again? Um, I'm in a place called Gosport, which is right on the south coast. Uh-huh. But I'm originally from Liverpool. So hi to everybody in... Um, in England Gosport. that we have listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or anybody maybe that's close to Carl. Very cool to have you guys on. You did a great, a great job. And for everybody else listening, thanks for listening to a big, old, bulky episode of Rushcast. And we'll be back next week with, I believe, different stages. Uh, so we'll see you guys all soon. Thanks for listening.